like we've needed uh, a little more structure. And not only that, we feel like Scripture calls us to do this, and so we want to honor what Scripture says. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what a deacon is. We're going to define that. We're going to talk about what, how deacons should function within the church and what that would look like here at Christ Community Church. So kind of when we announce this, or maybe you've heard about it, you probably fall into one of three camps on this subject, okay? And so the first camp would be that you're just kind of indifferent to it. You know, maybe you're like me and you grew up in a church that didn't, didn't recognize deacons, and so the whole idea is new to you. You're not really sure what that means or what it should look like. And so you're like, you know, if Jared and Lanny say we need deacons, let's go get some deacons, okay? So you might just be a little indifferent. Uh, the second camp you're, you could be in is that you are really happy that we're finally getting off our tails and we're doing this. Uh, you're like, man, this is long overdue. You guys have been dragging your feet. Uh, I'm glad that you're doing it. Ryan's smiling very, very large right there. So there's several people in that camp. And so the third camp you, you might find yourself in is you might be concerned about this move. And, and probably if you're concerned, you've been a part of a church where you've seen this office be mismanaged. Uh, maybe you've even been a part of a church where you've seen people with this title uh, abuse things and, and abuse people. Uh, maybe you've even been a deacon yourself in a previous church, and you, that, that experience has left you jaded because of the difficulties and the things that you faced as you did that. And so whatever camp you fall in this morning, my goal is for us to have some clarity on what a deacon is. Okay, we, we want to clarify uh, what we see. And so we want to see how deacons, like I said, how, how should they function? What are the qualifications to be a deacon and how that would play out here at Christ Community Church? So the good news is, you don't have to depend on my fallible wisdom to clarify this, okay? Um, and that's good. We have something much better. We have the Word of God. We have the truth of the one true living God that will help us clarify this, that does clarify this, as Scripture does with all things. It brings light and clarity. Our goal at Christ Community Church is to use Scripture to bring clarity to life. And so that's, that's one of the things that we're striving to do. So let's spend a little time just defining what we mean by deacon. So at Christ Community Church, we believe that there are two offices that are clearly presented in Scripture, specifically in the New Testament. Uh, we see this laid out throughout the New Testament, but most specifically in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so we're going to spend some time camping out in that passage this morning. But we see this in the book of Acts and several other places of Scripture. But the two offices that we see are elder, okay? So another word that is used for that in Scripture is overseer, okay, or like pastor. But we see that office as one office, the office of elder. And then we see the office of deacon. And that's more what we're specifically talking about this morning. So Historically speaking, if you grew up in the South, and specifically if you're a part of a church in the Bible Belt uh, in the South in the last 100 century or so, there's been a lot of confusion surrounding these two offices. They've gotten confused. In many churches, 
deacons are actually serving in the way that elders were meant to serve. And maybe you've been a part of a church in which that was so. So I just kind of want to spend a little time <clears throat> defining the two and talking about the differences because I think that's really, really important as we get into this. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much depth on defining what an elder is. That's a, that's a separate sermon. But kind of the general overview <clears throat> that we get from Scripture is that elders are described as the overseers of the local church. Okay, They are called to lead the church directionally. They are called to be in a position of authority on the areas of teaching, correcting, rebuking, defending Scripture. They are also called to be protecting the flock, kind of keeping the wolves out of the church. And so at the moment here at Christ Community Church, there's, there's two people serving in that role. That would be uh, Jared and myself. We believe very strongly that Scripture points us to a plurality of elders, okay? So not just one elder, but there should be more than one within the church. And so there's two right now, and hopefully in the future there's more than two, okay? That, that is our hope. And so um, <clears throat> that's kind of where we see elders. All right, so if you grew up in a church that had a deacon board, okay, and, and that board would meet, and they made all the kind of directional decisions about the church, everything from what color the walls were going to be painted, who got the best parking spots, what the preacher could and could not do, what the preacher could and could not teach. They were serving more in the function of elders, not deacons, okay? So I want to make it clear that we are not establishing a deacon board. That's not what we're doing, okay? We were not going to have a deacon board, and so I just want to be really clear on that. So if that's not what a deacon is, what is a deacon? All right, and, and for that, we're going to look to Scripture. We're going to look specifically to the word that is translated as deacon. It's this Greek word, uh, diakonos, which I'm going to mispronounce, and Ben and Ryan will make fun of me, but it's a Greek word that means servant. Okay, that's all that word means. It means servant. All right? This is a word we see quite a bit in the New Testament. We see it like 27 times, I believe. And at times it's referring to the office of deacon, and at other times it's just referring to someone who's serving within the church. We see it in Philippians 1.1. So this is like the very first line of this letter that Paul is writing to the Philippian church. And he's talking to these new believers. He's, he's encouraging them and giving them instruction, and this is how he initially addresses them. To all the saints in, in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, we see that word uh, diakonos there again, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right here in the very first sentence of this letter, we see Paul laying out these two offices very clearly. He's addressing the entire church. He's addressing the congregation, the saints. He's addressing the elders, the overseers, and he's addressing the deacons. So that's, that's plain as day for us to see right there in that letter. And so we would say, like, by the nature of the word, by the nature of the way deacons are described, we would say that they are lead servants within the church. And so let's just kind of look at an example in Scripture. Thankfully, we have that. And so we would look to the book of Acts. And if you remember, like, the book of Acts, it's kind of 
this story of the continuation of Christ's ministry after he ascends into heaven. And so Christ has ascended. He's given the great commission. He's told his disciples to go out into the world preaching the good news of the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them, planting churches throughout, throughout the nations. And he's given them this decree, and they've begun to do this. And they've gone out through the power of the Holy Spirit. They're preaching the word. People are coming to faith. The church is growing. It's, it's an exciting time, but it's also a difficult time. They're being persecuted, right? And so their jobs are being taken away. Their homes are being taken away. And so there's a lot of needs, a lot of practical needs. They don't have food to eat. And so the church begins to take care of people as we are called to do. And so they're feeding and sheltering people, giving them clothing. And so this is where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 6. And I'm just going to read the first four verses of that chapter. It says this, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So first of all, as we read those four verses, we see uh, right away that complaining is nothing new in the church right? I mean, it was going on from the very beginning. We've got these uh, Hellenists that are upset because their widows aren't being taken care of like they thought they should be. They're not getting the daily distribution of food. And the disciples see this and they go, man, this is a problem. But the problem is the disciples are spending all of their time dealing with these issues and they have no time for the ministry of the word. They don't have time for prayer and teaching and, and going out to the nation, spreading the gospel, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's a problem because that's what Christ had called them to do. And so what's the solution? They gather this group together, this group of servant leaders, and call on them to lead, to begin to take care of, like, the daily needs of the church so the ministry of the word can continue. And so a lot of people would say this is the first commissioning of deacons, uh, within the church, and this is how we see it. We see it as servant leaders within the church who are enabling the ministry of the word. Just as important as the ministry of the elders. Because without this ministry, the ministry of the elders can't continue. And so, uh, extremely important in the church, and, and that's where we see it, as servant leaders. So, we actually have a definition of what a deacon is in our bylaws. Uh, here at Christ Community Church, and I'm just going to read this definition for you. I think it, it spells it out very clearly. It says that a deacon is a lead servant in the ministry of our church. They work with their fellow deacons in extending the overseeing ministry of the elders into the physical needs of the people and property of the church and responsibilities of this body. Under the elders' leadership, they are to care for and maintain the orderly administration of our fellowship in which God has placed them as a deacon. Deacons are not in a position of authority in areas of teaching, correction, and rebuke. So, in summary, we kind of say deacons are lead servants within the church. They, they may help, like, 
for example, administer the children's ministry, kind of coordinate that. They may help coordinate the music team. They may help in the area of caring for our facilities and our equipment, in, in coordinating our sound team, in coordinating our, commu- our, our security team. And so these are areas where we would see deacons serving. Now, of course, that doesn't preclude a deacon from sharing the ministry, sharing the gospel. Okay, we're all called to do that. Uh, and it doesn't preclude deacons from teaching uh, at times and situations. And so, uh, but, but we see deacons as lead servants within the church. Now, the truth is, um, we've had people doing this for years in Christ Community Church. Uh, people have been serving in this role for years. We're simply making this move to formally acknowledge these positions. Uh, it's not anything that's really new to us. We're just moving to formalize it. So let's talk about the qualifications, okay? What, 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 who, what qualifies someone to serve as a deacon? Now, I love what Ben said earlier. We are all called to be servants, okay? This isn't just a call for a special few. We are all called to be servant leaders. Uh, but there are people who are uniquely gifted and have matured as believers to a point where they are going to be called to these roles. At this church, we are really blessed to have a room full of people who are qualified. We really, really do. And, and that is a huge blessing. It's a huge gift from the Lord. But we're going to take a, a closer look here at First Timothy and just see what Scripture tells us about this. So we find this most specifically in First Timothy chapter 3. So if you want to turn your Bibles to that if you have those. Now, the first seven verses of this chapter are dealing with the qualifications of elders. But verse 8 through 13 deal with the qualifications of deacons. And so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy is a, uh, an overseer who's going out and planning churches. And as he's doing that, Paul is kind of giving him instruction on, on how he how he should set up these offices within the church, how he should set up the office of elder and deacon, and what he should be looking for. What are the qualifications he's looking for? And so let's, let's look at verse 8 here. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So let's just kind of spend a little time breaking these qualifications down, taking a closer look. First of all, if you read those first seven verses, you're going to see that the qualifications for elder and deacon are almost exactly the same, excluding like the the ability to teach is a qualification for elder that we don't see for deacon. But everything else is pretty much the same. So it's not like, like I said, deacons are... It's not like elders are like, oh, these most holy people, and then deacons are like a little step below, and then there's everybody else, okay? That's not what, 
what uh, Paul is saying here. I think it's important for us to see that these qualifications that we're looking at here are simply the marks of Christian maturity. Okay, this is, these are just the marks of Christian maturity. And so whether you're serving in an office or not, we should all be striving to look like this. This isn't just for the, the super-Christians, right? This is for all Christians. This is what we're striving for. So if you're a believer here this morning that just kind of has a tendency to say, you know, I'm not really that kind of Christian. You know, I'm not a leader within the church. I don't really want to do that. That's not my thing. I'm just going to show up and consume and coast. That's not what Scripture calls us to at all. We're all called to go on to maturity. And so as we're looking at these qualifications, yes, these are qualifications for deacons, but this is what we should all look like as mature believers, okay? So in, this first ver- in, the, in these verses, we can kind of break it down to like four personal qualifications and then four spiritual qualifications. And so in verse 8, we see these four personal qualifications. First, we see that deacons must be people of dignity. So the dictionary defines dignity as a calm, serious, and controlled behavior that makes people respect you. So a deacon must be able to take serious things seriously, right? It's not like they can't joke around, have fun, but when things are serious, we take it seriously. Uh, You need to be able to remain calm and stay in control of your emotions in stressful situations. Again, all marks of Christian maturity here. And all of these things should make you respected amongst your fellow believers. Okay? So deacons must be people of dignity. Second, deacons must not be double-tongued. We all know that gossip ruins the morale of any organization. Right? If you've ever been a part of an organization, a workplace, a friend group uh, that, that was characterized by gossip, you know that it, it's a miserable place to be. It's a miserable place to be. And so a deacon can't be prone to it, can't be prone to gossip. Deacons must display integrity in all of their speech. Their yes must be their yes. Their speech must have integrity. Their yes must be their yes, and their no must be their no. So... Deacons can't be double-tongued. They, can't, uh, they, they must be dignified. And third, they must be temperate. They must be in control. They can't be addicted to, to alcohol or other substances or prone to excess in other areas of their lives. They need to live lives that are under control. Fourth, deacons must not be lovers of gain. They can't be greedy. They can't Uh, throw their morals out the window as soon as they get into the workplace. This doesn't mean deacons can't be successful business owners. They just can't be greedy. Their love, their idol, can't be money. It can't be social status. Christ should be their treasure, and that should be displayed in all aspects of their lives, not just on Sunday morning, but in Monday through Friday in the workplace. Fourth, deacons must not be uh, oh, lovers of game. We've gone on. So those are our four personal qualifications. They should be dignified, in control of their tongues, temperate in all aspects of their lives, and not greedy. So let's talk about the four spiritual qualifications that Paul lays out here. 
All right, and beginning in verse 9, we see that deacons must hold on to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What in the world does that mean? Okay, that's a little kind of cryptic if you take it just by itself. But when we look at all of Paul's writings, we see that he uses this word mystery here quite often to refer to the mysterious work of salvation that was brought on by Jesus Christ. So it's no longer a mystery, but Paul likes to use this word to describe it. We see this in Ephesians 3, in in verse 1 through 6, uh, when it says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to you, how the mystery, same word there, was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So in Paul's letter to Timothy here, he's really just telling Timothy to appoint deacons who are settled on the truth of the gospel, okay? They can't be wishy-washy about the gospel. That has to be solid. That has to be the center point. They have to believe that Christ came to save all who believe, that, that we cannot work our way to salvation, that it's a gift of grace, both Jew and Gentile alike. They can't waver on this. They're conscious has to be clear, and their conviction has to be strong. Now, we know that it is only possible to truly have this conviction in the human heart if the Holy Spirit's changed your heart. And so we would say this is one of the more important uh, requirements for being a deacon because this conviction shows that they are truly converted, that their heart's been changed. And you can say the same thing about yourself. Do, do you, are, are you holding firm to this conviction that Christ came to save sinners and that you're a sinner in need of grace? Are you placing your trust in that? Again, this is a part of being a mature Christian. Second, a deacon must have been tested and proven to be faithful. Okay, so we're not going to have somebody who walks in on the first Sunday, joins the next Sunday, we're not going to throw him in as a deacon. That wouldn't be wise for us. That certainly wouldn't be wise for that person either, right? And one of the reasons we've delayed kind of formally naming deacons is we've had time for this. We know these people who are going to be placed in these positions. We've lived life with them for years a lot of times. We've seen them face hardship and difficulty, and we've seen them abiding in the faith through all of that, okay? And so maybe we've waited a little longer than we needed to. I'll give you that. But this has given us time for testing. Third, a deacon must be proven blameless. Does this mean sinless? Obviously not, okay? I I couldn't be up here talking to you uh, as an elder in this church. We would have no deacons. Um, This doesn't mean sinless. So, so what's Paul talking about here? Really, he's kind of saying they, they should have a, a moral character, 
okay, that's above reproach. In other words, they're not ruled over by sin. There's not sin in, in their lives that they've totally given into, that they're battling sin, okay? That the trajectory of their life is growth in Christ. It's a growing character that looks more and more like Christ as they walk. He's addressing marriage here. You know, it's a, a deacons, if they're married, they need to be physically and emotionally devoted to that marriage. There needs to be a track record of that. On a side note, when we, when we kind of talk about marriage, does this mean that deacons have to be married? We would say no. When we look at uh, the first seven verses when uh, Paul is talking about elders, he, he uses the same qualification that they be uh, one-woman men, basically, is what he's saying. Now, we know that Paul was an overseer. He was an elder of the church appointed by Jesus Christ himself, but Paul wasn't married. So we wouldn't say that marriage is a prerequisite for serving in this office. Also, does this mean that deacons have to be married only once? Some people would interpret it that way, but we see that this interpretation literally means a one-woman man. It means they are devoted and morally pure in their current marriage. So there are those who had spouses who passed away. We know that Scripture permits them to remarry. There are even those who've been divorced in the past whom would meet this standard. And, and those things kind of would need to be looked at on a case-by-case basis. So um, we don't believe that someone can only be married one time in their life to be a deacon or has to be married to be a deacon. But we do would say if they are married, that they are in a committed, uh, morally upright marriage. So lastly, we would say through this scripture that, that deacons should lead their families well. Okay, managing the stresses of everyday family life helps show a qualification that they were able to manage the affairs of a church. So if someone can't maintain his own house, we're probably not going to give him the house keys to the church. Okay, so that's a qualification as well. So we see these kind of eight qualifications, if you will. You could probably break it down in a different way, but I think this gives us a good overview of, of who's qualified to be a deacon. It also gives us a good overview of what mature Christian faith looks like. So I'm going to get a little controversial for a minute just to kind of finish this thing out. And uh, we're going to talk about women, okay? Can women be deacons, all right? And I think it's important for us to say before we talk about this that deacons are not elders, okay? We would say that Scripture is clear that only males can be elders. But we would say it's not quite as clear that only males can be deacons and that there is some... uh, evidence that females were deacons in in the New Testament age. And so you're going to say, what about verse 11, Lane, where it says they're wives? Doesn't that imply that it's a male-only deaconship? And I'm going to say not really. Uh, Because when we look at this Greek word, if you look in your Bibles, there's probably a little footnote right there, or there should be a little footnote. Um, that says this word is also interpreted not as wives, but women. And so that this verse could be interpreted, women likewise 
must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded. And that would imply that Paul is talking to women women who would be deacons. Um, Another bit of evidence that we can look at, uh, wives, if you look at these first seven verses, Paul's addressing uh, the qualifications for elders. He doesn't address the wives of elders. And that would seem a little odd, you know, if he just addresses the wives of deacons but doesn't address the wives of elders, especially when all the other qualifications line up together. Last bit of evidence I'll talk about is in Romans 16, 1 and 2. And the verse says this, Paul's talking to, uh, Paul is in his letter is talking about this lady, Phoebe. And Phoebe is delivering this letter that Paul's written to the Roman church. We'd say, man, one of the cornerstones of the New Testament, right? Maybe the most important letter ever written. And Paul's entrusting Phoebe to deliver this to the Roman church. And this is what the verse says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, diakonos, that word is the same word used there, a diakonos, a servant of the church at Sincre, that you may may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So, we see that Phoebe's given this very important job, and this seems to be the job of a deacon, and she seems to be described this way in this verse. I'm just going to read what John MacArthur says about this subject. He says, Some argue that he is referring to wives of deacons rather than to the office of women deacons, but it makes no sense that high standards would be specified for the wives of deacons but not the wives of overseers or bishops who are also called elders, whose qualifications he has just given in verse 1 through 7. In this context, the office of deaconess is clearly implied. The likewise in verse 11 ties the qualifications of these women to those already given for the office of overseer and deacon. Further, we see Phoebe referred to as a deaconess, diakonos, in Romans 16, 1 and 2. Phoebe has been given the great task of delivering this amazing letter to the Roman church. This would have been a long, dangerous task. Paul probably only made one copy of the letter. Paul realized that this letter would become part of God's written word. He knew that the truths he imparted in this letter had the mark of divine authenticity. He would therefore have made certain that the epistle to the Romans was entrusted only to the most reliable of persons. These areas of Scripture give us confidence that women can and should serve as deacons in our church. It's important for us to see that the deacons were distinguished from the elders and that they were not the governing body of the church, nor were they charged with the duty of authoritative teaching. So the role of deacon seems not to involve anything that Paul taught in 1 Timothy or anywhere else that is inappropriate for women to perform in the church. And so John Piper as well, he kind of sums up this subject by stating, after looking at all the evidence, he says that it it appears then that the role of deacon is of such a nature that nothing stands in the way of women's full participation in it. Within the deaconate itself, the way the men and women relate to each other would be guided by the sense of appropriateness growing out of the biblical teaching of male and female complementarity. 
charity. So, kind of as we think about this, I just kind of want to say that I would say this is a secondary matter within the church. I don't think it should call division, cause division within the church. Uh, I, I know that there's going to be some people here who probably disagree with this. There's some really great theologians I admire that stand kind of on both sides of the fence on this issue. And honestly, it's not one of those crystal clear things that we have in Scripture. So I think it's okay to agree to disagree, but at Christ Community Church, our position is that women can serve in this role of deacon. And the truth is, there's been several that have been serving in this role for years at Christ Community Church. And so um, as we move forward, we probably will be recognizing female deacons. So as we think about all this this morning, I just want to conclude with us just kind of thinking again on those qualifications that we see in 1 Timothy, uh, that we should be striving for that maturity. Um, Whether you're asked to serve in this role or not, we are all called to be servant leaders. We are all called to be servant leaders. Uh, If you're a Christian, you're called to be a servant leader. Many of you are leading in your families. You're leading in your friend group. You're leading in your workplace. And we see throughout Scripture that great leaders are not ruling with like an iron fist. That's not the picture that we see. They're not ruling by like exerting their will on other people, by beating them down, by intimidating them. The key to great Christian leadership is is willing to not rule with an iron fist, but to be ruled. That's how we become great leaders. It's being ruled by the good king by the only, true, perfect king of the universe. So we would say that Christ should rule our emotions, our relationships, our interactions with our spouse, our children, our friends, our co-workers. He calls us to lead by giving up ourselves. And he doesn't just call us to do that. He did it himself, and he said, follow me. Give yourself up for others. And as we do this, when we lead that way, the great gift is that it brings joy. It brings peace. It brings happiness. Uh, I know the most joy-filled moments of my life are when I live my life aligned with the love of Christ, and the inverse is true also. The most miserable moments of my life are when I forget this, and I try to lead in my own way, in my own wisdom, And I not only make myself miserable, but I make everybody around me miserable. So we can't live the way Christ calls on us to live by just working really hard at it, okay? We can't, like, do all the new age thing and tap into our deepest self and practice daily meditation and give gratitude to the powers that be. That's not going to change our hearts. The only way we can do this is by fully submitting to the good king. He's the only one that can make us right. And so if you've done that, I just call on you to keep remembering that day by day. Keep remembering the love that's been shown to you. And as you do that, pray that you can pour that out on other people, beginning with your family and then pouring out from there. If you've never known that love, if you've, if you've never really submitted your life to that, but you, but you want to, I urge you to do that. 
because the good king is calling and joy and peace are waiting for you. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you for uh, being able to be here and and talk about your word. We praise you that you call us to something more than just serving ourselves. That we are called to serve others. We are called to live a life of self-forgetfulness. We are called to live a life of uh, laying ourselves down for other people, to being willing to be abused at times for other people, to to love people well the way that you loved, that we have been given this great example that we get to strive towards. Father, help us to not stay where we are. Help us to grow in maturity. Pour out your spirit on us and and, and change our hearts and, and help us to grow and serve and love in the way that honors you, the good king. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, if you are here this morning uh, and you're new, um, we take the Lord's Supper together every week. Um, you can get one of these out in the back um, and, and have that. But basically, 